I just want to wake up every day, throw a leg over my scoot, and ride. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. On road or off road, wrencher, rider, racer, or just a weekend warrior, this is the show for you. You found us, my fellas. Welcome to the American Roadrunner Podcast. And now, your host, Bob Marshall. Welcome back, my fellows. This is the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show. Season 2, Episode 8. This is Part 2 of John and Kate Plus Motorcycle. Well, hope you all are doing well. Hope your health is well. Hope your family's health is well. There's always that white elephant in America today, a little something we called covid I got to tell you, I work downtown and I'm surrounded by people. Needless to say, I'm always masked up. If I have to go in the jail, which I do a few times a day, it's double mask. It's all sorts of crazy stuff. Everyone's taking my temperature everywhere I go. It's made life a little harder. As I can imagine, it's done for you as well in whatever you may be doing. Myself as a mechanic, I did not get time off. We've had some mandatory overtime. It's been very busy. It's been very different. And it's really thrown a wrench in life, as I know all of us have had some pretty big wrenches thrown in our lives lately. So whatever you do to take care of it, whatever you do to do it, I hope this podcast gives you something good to enjoy, a nice little story here and there. That's how we learn from each other as human beings, through the art of storytelling. And that is my favorite part about doing this show, writing books, whatever I may do, it's all about sharing stories. And as I've shared my story with you through my published book, American Roadrunner, I always enjoy it when other people share their stories with me, which I turn on to you in this audio show. The road's been a lot of fun. I've gotten to go a few places, but nothing too in-depth and nothing too exciting because it's... Hard to travel now, unless you're on a motorcycle and don't need much. So it seems like the Ride 1K in a days have been real popular. Everybody's real excited just to get out, haul butt. As long as you don't have to use a restroom, you may or may not be able to get coffee or food somewhere. You just got to take everything with you. Hit the road and enjoy it and see what happens. Yes, it's different. Yes, every state is different. And every road is different. But sometimes that's half the fun. So... Hope you find a way to throw a leg over your machine, twist some throttle, and enjoy your road. In the meantime, I haven't gotten out too much. I've had a few good things going. I did get out to a party over at Beulah May's house. Uh, It was great to hang out, catch up with everybody. Uh, A few ex-girlfriends, a new girlfriend, uh, and then Beulah May, of course. She's the love of my life, so that was very exciting. But good to stop catch up, relax, not get too close to people, but enjoy some good food and some good story sharing. So that's always exciting. Other than that, I got busy and finally decided 
to purchase a writing shed. Now, I don't mean riding shed, like riding a motorcycle. I mean an actual writing shed. It's a 27-foot freaking travel trailer, and I can pull it behind my truck, or I can pull it behind my excursion, but right now, it's sitting in the backyard with the awning out, and I hooked up all the lines, so it's like a full-on self-contained office where I get to write. Typewriters all over the place, the whole nine. The reason I bought this particular one is because I can fit a motorcycle through the door. So it will haul a motorcycle for me. Maybe a Rebel, maybe a nice cafe racer, certainly not my Goldwing, uh, maybe a Chopper. I don't know. I haven't had too much fun with it yet, but it's nice to know I have options because I do plan to retire in a few years. Once the house is paid off, I'm just going to rent it out. I've got a big backyard I can keep most of my stuff in. I just want to hop around, find a home base. So if you happen to be my friend and live anywhere, I'll most likely be pulling an RV up, hanging out for a few months, writing some good stories, and enjoying some life. Or maybe I'll just hit it all on a motorcycle. Who knows? All I know is the future is exciting. And until we can get back to racing after all this COVID stuff, as I'm sure a lot of you know, or I've heard most land speed racing has been canceled. There's been a little bit of flat track racing, but not much. Half of Sturgis is canceled. It's just one of those years where the events are canceled and all we can do is go out and find our own road in all of it. So let's get to it. John and Kate. We're going to be talking about riding cross country in sidecars, some veterans charity rides, his service with and for our country, the work he does with veterans, shooting photos from a sidecar, and raising awareness for loneliness and depression. This is a good little part. Enjoy. And don't forget, coming up, headlights on. Enjoy the show. Road trip of America. I mean, it's, it's going to be a good one. I think it's going to be all sorts of things. And it's not going to be great the entire time and i'm ready for the ups and downs and yeah and whatever comes up and just being present with that right the when the journey's the destination right. just being present period whatever whatever comes up yeah and that's one of the reasons i think i can pull this off without her stabbing me in my sleep is that general attitude it's um I don't know, a lot of people, if they're uncomfortable and you're the one piloting the bike, your fault. But yeah. it's case not that kind of person. Well, like I said, I've ridden pilot here a lot as I currently hold the record. Did I mention I hold the record? I might have mentioned that. <laughs> That's why it's called Piloteer, not anything else. Good time. What bike are you taking? Still working on that, actually. Okay. Um, now this is getting exciting. Yeah. Definitely want it to be a sidecar just for the extra space. Right. And it helps. Although sidecars handle horribly, as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the reasons they're fun to race. Um, they're great when traction sucks. You cannot fall over when you're in the mud on a sidecar. You yeah, can't get them stuck. True. And you might need a shovel to get them out. But, um, like, in D.C., the cops ride year-round. It snows. There's ice. They, they just put a sidecar on the Harley for a certain months. Right, and that's right. how they get around. 
And um, that was one of the reasons sidecars popped up back in the day. I mean, the main reason was people couldn't afford a car. And you, you know, had to carry the wife and the kid in a picnic basket somewhere on Sunday, and then you got a sidecar. Yeah. But um, I think it's better because we're going to have more space. Um, we've, we've done three, four, five-day trips. And between the camping gear to, uh, and yeah. clothes for three days, yeah, it does fit. And you could do it. You definitely can do it. There's people out there doing it right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on bigger bikes, like GS, BMWs. Right. But... The handling of the bike is so bad when you have that much weight on the back. You're basically hanging on, you're like sitting on a gas tank trying to get front wheel traction driving down some, you know, it's like a flat dirt road on the way to a campground, but I'd rather have a sidecar. You drive them slow enough, the mileage doesn't hurt, and so you're still getting 35 miles to the gallon on a bike that might hit 45 or 50. Um, I'm friends with and work with uh, Dave Fry at the uh, Veterans Charity Ride, and they're out in Moab. Okay. Um, they've got some sidecars. They're sponsored by Indian and then Champion Sidecar. So they've got like six or seven different outfits that are, um, Indians, but those are Indian fleet bikes still. So I don't think I can use one of those. Um, but he's got a Ural sidecar and then there was a 1990 Goldwing that was donated to him that has a two seater, I think, motivation sidecar on it. Oh man, yeah. that'd be, that'd be the cat's meow in my opinion, but I love my Goldwing. So yeah. I actually, I ferried it out for him. It was in, um, it was, the guy lived in the housing right next to Laguna Seca. <laughs> that's great. And he was an army vet himself, and that's why he wanted to donate it. Veterans Charity Ride, they, um, take wounded and amputee vets on a big ride to Sturgis every year. They've right. been doing it since, I think, 2015. Right. And, um, they, they used to be in California and they'd ride all the way out, but, uh, Moab was just so huge in their, their reception and the way they treated us. And, like, the mayor came out, the sheriff came out, the fire department came out, the, yeah, most of the times we come in on a Thursday and there'd still be like 80 to 100 people hanging out to welcome the veterans at some park. You know, sometimes it was raining. Sometimes it was hot. They would, they would come every year. Um, I've done it three years now out of the five that they've done it. And so they're based in Moab now since our lease is up July 15th. She'll be out of school late May, early June. Um, veterans charity ride happens about the last week of July through August because they ride to Sturgis for the rally. Right. And uh, it makes sense to head out there, help them get the ride ready, get the bike serviced, get everything set up, you know, as far as uh, being able to greet all the veterans that come in, get them familiar with the bikes. Then I'll, I'll do the ride. I pilot the, um, the camera bike. They have a photographer for the ride, Sarah Liberty. And uh, she's been she's been there, I think, every year. She's actually got more miles in that sidecar than I do because she's been doing it longer. But uh, we make a good team because I'm a photographer, so I kind of know what she needs yeah. to, what she wants. And yeah. she'll be hanging off the sidecar like with one leg out ready to fall. So you have you got to be really smooth, but I can look and see what lens she has. And I know how close or how far to get away. So it's it's great because, you know, as a veteran myself, you get that motorcycle therapy. You're out in the right. wind, but you right. also get to serve veterans that have a lot worse of a shot than me because... I was in combat, but I wasn't blown up. I, you know, they, they shot a couple mortars at me here and there, but, um, there's just, there's people that have it a lot worse. There's, there's people that, I mean, even just some people that have had vehicle rollovers. Um, a lot of the people that the ID went off and it blew up their truck, but they were completely okay. They weren't actually completely okay. If you're blown into the air by an explosion, it, it compresses your spine. Right. And you definitely get a TBI from the concussion and you're probably going to get permanent hearing loss. Um, some of the guys, lost their lower legs just slowly because the spine damage just kept accumulating and scar tissue eventually made them over the years. And these guys can hop on and ride a sidecar because we've got ones that have um, the 
the rear brakes just moved over, so it's like a bicycle, front brake where the clutch is. Oh, sure, yeah. And then Recluse sponsors them, has those centrifugal clutches, and right. just a, a hand shifter, and they can ride them around. It's got a sidecar. A lot of the guys are single amputees, and they'll be missing uh, one leg, but they can still balance the bike. And, you know, even though those Indians are heavy, the weight's real low, so it's pretty easy to keep them front and center, you know, with the rubber side down. So uh, we'll probably take off for the trip, um, either from... Moab when we bring the bikes back, or maybe just straight from Sturgis. And that's why I kind of want to do it clockwise, because it'll still be summer. Canada will be warmer. And then by the time we get down into Florida, it'll still be decent. And I, I hope we are able to get up into Colorado before the snow comes in, but you never know with that one. That'll kind of dictate where we finish off. But I definitely want it to be more than, it's not just a vacation. I think it's, it's you know, it's an exploration into yourself. And I definitely want that to translate past me. You know, we got plans to write a book and all that. But um, at the same time, no matter how good you are when you're writing a book, you're really—it's—it's it's a fairly egotistical thing. You're—you're you're writing about yourself. Extremely selfish. Yeah. Um. So we're—we're. We're, well, I'm still working with the concept right now, but just um, an issue that is not just a veteran issue, but is a human issue is—is is loneliness and. That eventually leads to depression and suicide. And so I want to be able to stop off at some spots. Um, I think people forget, especially as we're more connected on the Internet, we're more alone because the connections are artificial. You know, the people check up on you by sending you a private message and say, are you okay? That's not going to help a depressed person. Right. And uh, it's the human contact we have on the day-to-day. Um, you know, because I had no times in my life where I just... It didn't particularly matter if I lived or died, and I'm probably still alive because it didn't matter if I lived or died, so why bother killing myself? I was that lazy mm. and that depressed. Mm. And um, I want to be able to raise awareness because we don't talk about loneliness. Um, suicide is a thing we can deal with. It's even like a medical problem. People treat it like it's a psychiatric condition. If you have suicidal thoughts, you can take a pill. You can talk to someone. But uh, loneliness affects a lot of people. It's sort of like um, the working poor. You know, they, they got a job and they're paying their bills, so they don't need any government assistance, but they're, they're living from paycheck to paycheck, and they're going to die prematurely from a lot of stress. And most of the country lives like that, so nobody wants to talk about it because it's not a problem. Everybody's dealing with it, so that, that doesn't mean it's not a problem. You know, everybody mm-hmm. I met in Iraq was dealing with the war. War was still a problem. It wasn't, it wasn't normal. And uh, I definitely want the ride to have a bigger reach. I want to go to, you know, old folks' homes. I want to go to shelters. I don't know. I think that's part of why we want to go to some Buddhist temples and stuff, too. I'm not particularly religious, but I definitely believe um, when you change your own world, the world around you changes immediately. Um, it's just so it's so simple to do when you do it, but it's so hard. You can't think your way into it. And I'm kind of an intellectual guy. I, I want to think my way into everything. So I like bikes. You know, it needs air, it needs spark, and it needs fuel. If it's not starting, I can just start at the front and work my way back and you know, there's a spark, spark plug. And, um, humans aren't like that. Depression's not like that. It, yeah. You can have everything you want and still be depressed. And I think that's really, it, it needs to be talked about more so that it's not a taboo. Because uh, it's too weird to ask your buddy at work, hey man, are you lonely? They're going to like, what are you, you hitting on me? You want to take me on a date? They're going to be immediately right. defensive. That's a hard one. Yeah. And uh, it just, it shouldn't be. Because we're all going through something. I definitely want the trip to tell a bigger story than John and Kate uh, got some time off from school and rode a motorcycle around the country. That's a great story. I love reading those stories, but 
Um, it's it's more than a vacation. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a search. Yeah, and we've and we've talked about that uh, third element. I refer to it as a third element to any story. What's the benefit of it? What's the benefit to human race, the human race? Yeah, good for you. I'm looking forward to reading it. Yes, still fleshing the concept out. But also, too, the the looser your plan, the better you are to receive what the world's going to give you as a lesson. Because if you're out there trying to find the answer, then you're disregarding things that aren't correlate to the answer you're looking for. As I sit around and wait for the truth, the truth knocks at the door, and I say, go away, I'm waiting on the truth. Mm-hmm. That's Robert Persig, I'm quoting, saying in the art of motorcycle maintenance. And that's a very appropriate one. I remember that quote. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Ever wonder what happened to the music they used to play on the radio? It's now available and virtually commercial-free for your ride. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today and enjoy it streaming or download songs to your heart's content. Dirty Radio FM is free and the best way to enjoy music through a Senna like Bob or with earbuds while you're on the road. Dirty Radio FM. Get the app today. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the Headlight. Shout out time to those fellow Ride One Canadaers. We're starting with a two rider ride. Rider one of two. Sinister clutch on the gram. Knocked out this glorious Midwest Ride 1K with a friend who logged his miles in time at 1,034 miles in 16 hours, 35 minutes. Great ride, boys. He writes, Myself and my friend Anthony rode from northern Kentucky to Oakoma, South Dakota. We began our ride in the middle of the night at approximately 2.40 a.m. and made it. This was the longest ride we ever encountered, but we were lucky to have such great weather most of the way. The only mishap was my buddy losing his tent, sleeping bag, fishing pool, lures, and the rest on the interstate. We never saw rain, but it did get chilly at times. As part of our ride, we rode to Spearfish, South Dakota, the next day to camp and fish. We couldn't have asked for better weather and enjoyed every minute we had in South Dakota. Dingers on to you, because I cannot fit a motorcycle in the studio. Moving on to rider number two of this epic journey at cool underscore arrow underscore customs. Knocked it out. They ride. Cranked up the fat boy at 2.30 in the morning, filled up at the local gas station. During our early morning dark ride, we hit a few deep-ass potholes, causing half my crap to fly off. Didn't realize it until the third refuel. Screw it. All we could do is jump back on and enjoy the ride. I didn't realize how much of an adrenaline rush of a ride we were facing until we had already reached and passed the halfway mark. We did hit some heavy wind in Iowa, and I realized how fast the winds were when I noticed my buddy's motorcycle out of slant. Our 1K ride put us out in Chamberlain, South Dakota, where we sat up in a cabin there and enjoyed some old bison burgers and several cold beers. The next morning, rode out to Spearfish, did some riding through Deadwood and Cheyenne, did some fishing for trout out in Cheyenne where the waters were indeed cold. After a few days out in Spearfish, we headed back to northern Kentucky, where we lucked out and didn't have to ride in rain. In short, it was one hell of a trip with a good friend. Can't wait for the next Ride 1K. 
Stay safe out there on two wheels, my fellow 1Kers. Well written, well done, great ride, gentlemen. Next up, on the gram, at Garrett King. Crushed this 1K loop with some glorious scenic roads. 1,000 miles, exactly 1,000 miles, in 19 hours, 11 minutes. Looked like Garrett had a very enjoyable ride and is already planning for the next. Garrett writes, Thursday night I was thinking up weekend plans and decided I wanted to do a 1K. I dusted off the windshield in the rafters and clipped it on and put the seat backrest to complete the middle-aged dad bike aesthetic. Form follows function. Friday I mapped out a route and checked the forecast and hit the road. 4.30 a.m. Saturday morning. It was really awesome watching the sunrise in rural southern Iowa while ripping back roads and the weather couldn't have been better. I hit the Ozarks and Mark Twain Forest midway and that's when the real fun and adventure began. Once I got into the forest, all cell reception and GPS was gone and it was just me and the nicest roads I've ever ridden. I was completely lost after an hour or so on these roads, but knew I was about halfway done and needed to keep riding north and east to get back on route, which is easier said than done in new territory with no landmarks and the sun right above you. I was lucky enough to run into a couple at the gas station who happened to be headed to St. Louis, which I knew was on my route, so I tailed them until I could get my bearings. St. Louis is where the fun stopped and the pain began. The sunburn was setting in real nice and basically every part of my body was sore and stiff by this point. The 350 miles back to Des Moines was all about crushing it as fast as I could. An hour from home and I couldn't stop smiling knowing I was going to accomplish this feat and thinking about planning for the next one. Well done, sir. We're ringing the bell for you. Let's get back to the road with Bob Marshall and the American Roadrunner podcast. Next up, typewriters and motorcycles, writings and feelings on audiobooks and those old paper books. Enjoy, my fellows. So, the big question. Will you be taking a typewriter with you? And that depends on if we can get a sidecar <laughs> or not. I'm totally <laughs> I, I uh, yeah. that typewriter I got from you, I do a page a day at least. And if I'm gone, that's cool. Yeah, I'm gone. Then I do you know two pages if I'm gone to make up for that. And uh, it is a great thing. It's a first thing I used to do in the morning was get the coffee going and check email. As soon as you check email, you are sidetracked and you're you're most creative when your mind's clear when you just woke up. Mm. So I flip that typewriter open and it doesn't have any update for me to look at. It's just sitting there being a typewriter waiting for a piece of paper. I don't need to charge the battery. I don't got to plug it in. Um, I don't have to clear 15 notifications to get to the part of it that is a typewriter, like most cell phones, because they do everything. and You forget that it even has a phone in it. Right, um, right. They're and, just small processing computers. Yeah. yeah. And it's, um, yeah, the typewriter, there's just some visceral, too, about hitting the keys and getting that sound. That tactile analog. And I honestly, I type on it so often that because the apostrophe, they must not use the apostrophes back in the sixties very often because it's you have to hold down the shift key and hit um, eight right. to get an apostrophe on that. Right. And obviously the apostrophe is just right next to the return key on most Usually. keyboards, right. and it's you don't. So I end up hitting shift all the time when I hit the apostrophe <laughs> when I'm on my laptop. So I actually type so much on that damn typewriter that 
I'm getting used to the keys, and I have to, like, convert back when I'm in laptop mode doing work. I, yeah, I forgot to warn you about that. I do the same thing. And we'll we'll tell a little bit of backstory. Uh, John was going to Kernville. I was going to Kernville. I'm like, great. I'm really excited to meet you. And he goes, uh, he said, wait, you, you have typewriter? So for all the listeners out there, yes, I've got a bad habit of collecting old beat-up typewriters, rebuilding them. They aren't pretty. But boy, they work extremely well. And so I took pictures of a few of them and I said, well, sure, which one do you want? And he goes, well, which one? And I think it ended up being the lowest price one. I don't remember. Anyway, the Remington Star Tab. Yeah, it's from the early 70s, I think. I know it's it's got a one on it, right? The number one. Which mm, is. Not sure. I'll yeah. Well, great, great machine. And I knew it would put up with the beating. And we were getting ready to leave. And there I am with all the girls. And. We tie everything on our stuff, and Annette goes, what's that? Why? We're only going for the weekend. Why are you bringing a typewriter? I go, no, no, John, I'm giving this, you know, John's picking this up for me. It's going to be great. Oh, gosh, you know, I mean, it's just nerdiest of nerd, but I tell you, there's very few things as exciting for me as traveling around with a typewriter, because what it does is it forces me to look at this 9, 10, 12-pound machine that I brought with me on a motorcycle, and say, I better spend an hour or two with this today, because I brought this machine on my motorcycle. <laughs> I only have two days worth of clothes instead of four days because of this machine. Yeah. And it's it's a good excuse. Yeah, and there's I mean there's enough hipsters already out there that have the videos of them grinding in slow motion on a motorcycle and talking about the Zen and the purity of uh, you know being able to work with your hands. So I don't want to get like romantic about it but there's just something simple about being in front of the typewriter typing you're just doing the typing thing you hear the same thing a lot with motorcycles you know i like to be on the bike because my phone's in my pocket i'm not distracted it's just me in the road i'm not thinking about uh work or anything just out there on the bike free um typewriters aren't necessarily that romantic but it has that same ability where you're just you're just typing it's not going to beep until you have a text message you just it's just you and the page and uh, when you're done with the page, you actually have a physical piece of paper, and you're like, I accomplished a thing. I wrote a page. Um, you know, and I, I can type just as many words on the word processor, and it's just screen, and you just hit page up and page down. You don't feel like you wrote the page. You just wrote for an hour. Um, I, and then it has a word count anyway, so you're like, oh, I'm only at 600 words. I need to do more words. So all the extra features, um, they help a lot, but, you know, everything, every plus comes with a downside. Uh, Kate, do you write a lot? Just essays or papers and stuff? I end up having to do a lot of writing. A lot of it is scientific, APA style. Right. Because I'm a psychology major. Right. So that doesn't leave a lot of room for creativity. But I do journaling. Ooh. Yeah. Um, Let's hear about that. Tell us about the journaling. Well, private thoughts and feelings is a way to kind of get what's going on inside and twisting me up outside. And, um, and that is just therapeutic for me. Right. Yeah. That would probably be the better idea on your guys' adventure out just bring a notepad as opposed and journal as opposed to the typewriter but she got this really cool thing called a passion planner it's like it's just it is a planner but it has you know spaces for notes and thoughts and 
and gold. And so it's like, it's useful in organizing and all of the left brain stuff, but it gives you a bunch of room for notes, feelings, who you met. So I definitely want to take one of those out and just have notes of where we are physically so that you, you know, I, I need to research this forest so I can talk about it because we only rode through it and I, I didn't stop to read anything. But I also want, like, I felt this way. I think a tricky part about writing a book about a thing you already did is, like, so you went through the journey and you had the answer. And so when you write about yourself before you had whatever that moment was, you got to get back into that point where, like, you were wrong about some stuff or you, you, you have a different understanding now, but you have to... The person reading the book doesn't know. They haven't gotten to the end yet. So you need to be able to write from that place you were in. And having notes is like the only way I know how to do it. You're right-handed, aren't you? Mm-mm. Oh, you're left-handed. That's right. We had this as a fellow left-hander. I mean, I smear. I think you do that on top of right, though, don't you? I yeah. remember when you were interviewing me. Yeah, I just put the yeah. pencil the other way. That's right. Like that's a really right. weird style. It, it hurts worked. my hand, but it works. Yeah, no, it, it worked. And that's why I got... So heavy into using typewriter machines because it's just so much faster and easier. It works. The road seems to be offering you guys just a ton of new adventures in that. What do you think? Uh, well, who who do you write for now? Well, I'm a freelancer, but right. I would say 99% of the time I write for uh, Russ Brown, Motorcycle mm-hmm. Attorneys. Their blog is uh, it's pretty cool because they syndicate it out to other magazines. So you're not just writing for a blog. You actually have to have a little bit of standards. Blogs are pretty easy to do. I did, I've done some blogging, and it's like, you know, 500 words, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, and you just hammer it out, and it's a real assembly line. Um, and it's more about, like, search engine optimization than writing a compelling story. In fact, they don't even call it writing. They call it you're a content creator or a content provider. Right. Like, you're not even a writer. It's like calling a mechanic an uh, automotive technician. To me, that's kind of insulting. Yeah. Mechanic is like the artisan. You need to know how to troubleshoot. You don't just go to the book and follow the troubleshooting tree. Test pin one to pin two and look for four ohms, of, and you don't even know why you're doing it. And um, yeah. So Russ Brown, basically, A, they'll say yes to anything that I pitch them, and B, they feed me great work. That's how I found you. That's how I got to interview Bow Monster. That's how I got to interview a lot of really cool people. Um, Fab 28 Exhausts. It's just... People that are in motorcycling, but in different facets, some of them are artists, some of them are mechanical creators, some of them are race promoters, but they all have pretty cool stories about, you know, when your passion took over, how did you finally make the change? I'm going to try to make money with my passion. That's a scary thing. A lot of people like to do it on the side, or a lot of people do a version of it. You know, if you like to build custom motorcycles, but you work at, uh, you know, a Midas uh, welding mufflers into... 10-year-old Toyota Corollas, you're not necessarily, yeah, you're working with your hands and you're working on vehicles, but um, people that really grab their passion and turn it into a thing, that takes a lot of, especially if you have a job that pays well. Oh, yeah, I feel, I, I don't mean to, I have a job that pays well as a mechanic, and it's still a lot of fun to get out and race, and obviously it's been a lot of fun the last several years to share those stories with American Roadrunner, you know, the book, or the blog or the brand or the blah, blah, blah. But that's why I really enjoy doing this show because it enables me to enjoy your stories. That's what I get excited about in an audible format instead of a written format, really. Which is great. I mean, it's all about the medium. That's why I write songs too, but writing stories is easier than writing songs because you don't have, 
You don't have to tap your foot to a book. Yeah, that's you could try. Yeah, <laughs> you could try and probably have a good time. Yeah, a lot of <coughs> a lot of Shakespeare's plays rhymed, I guess. If one any original language he wrote them in. Yeah. Let's not mention it, because then it'll be a theme. Like, you got to write a book that you can tap your foot to. Yeah, it's not it's not going to work very well. Although, I'll tell you what, I you know, I read my own book, and I've been producing that audio lately, and it kind of gets into that. You're, you're really making a good rhythm out of it, and making sure I have to make sure that I'm reading at a good rhythm, and I have to make sure, oh, if I need to add a half a second here, because I didn't, um, you know, 10 minutes go by, and then I messed up and had to step back, and write, you know, it's... There's a lot. There's a lot more to it than I ever thought humanly yeah. possible. Now, I, I listen to a lot of audiobooks on the bike. It's mm. actually like the mo- most of the reading that I do is audiobooks. I just That's got good. through 16 chapters on the way down here in the rain on some uh, book about hacking the human mind. Right, right. That. And it was really cool. Um, it probably would have taken me a year to get through 16 chapters of reading because I'm always reading five books and then magazines and blog posts come in and then I'm reading my own writing. So... Mm. Um, when I do audiobooks, the especially if there's multiple versions, like like I did the Great Gatsby recently, just you know to get a little read some of the classics, and there cool. was like eight different versions available. Oh by, yeah, sure. By the way, public service announcement: go to your local library, get a library card. Go to your local library. Holy yeah. heck! I, I got my library card. I did it online and just printed out the receipt. All the guy had to do was scan it, hand me a card, and all the information was there. And now I can go to Overdrive and get free audiobooks all day long. I voraciously listen to audiobooks. But like I said with The Great Gatsby, is um, there was like eight different versions I could choose from. And I went yeah. through all of them because the, the narrator matters. If, you're, um, if your cadence is off, it's actually hard to listen to. Yes. And if somebody's... A lot of... Uh, I listen to a lot of Hunter S. Thompson's books. Sure. In audiobook format. And there's a couple... That, some people do it... They try to do it in... They try to copy... The cadence of his voice, that weird sort of way he, he, right, he almost right. like mumble talk really fast. Right. But um, that's not necessarily the way I want to listen to his book. Because um, a lot of the, like some of his books out, that are out right now are, someone just went through his, he made carbon copies when he typed stuff. So sure. they're like, mm-hmm. like letters he wrote to Remington Firearms, you know, asking for a warranty claim. Mm-hmm. It's ran, like that you don't need the Hunter Thompson ramble style for that. And so I'll, I'll go through and listen to that sample and like, nope. Can't get used to this guy. (laughs) It does mean a lot. No, I've learned. I know I've got my favorite narrators. And I end up listening to books that they've done because they're really good narrators. And they really are good narrators. R.C. Bray, uh, Ray Porter. I mean, these guys are just on fire. They're just so in demand. Uh, Julia Whelan. I just enjoy all the artwork that they put into making it happen. It really is an art. And I've had a lot of fun getting into it. How, how can I get into narrating books? So I started with my own book. Let's see where it goes from there. Because, yes, you've heard me say it before, dear listener. I have an audible addiction that needs a damn 12-step program. But in so, it's great to learn to create that content in audio instead of just written, if you will. And it's exploding. It's so popular. It's gotten way more popular than anyone could have ever imagined. And with that popularity comes new form of art in it. So it's very it's very exciting to see how it'll turn out. Honestly, you know, in the future, I think that'll be it. Let me know when you need your article read. We'll be loading MP3s on the blogs, and uh, I can read your article for you, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah. So we can, 
People stop listening to the radio, but they voraciously pick up podcasts. Yeah. People stop reading, but they want audiobooks, or they want a Kindle, or something like that. Well, it's it's easier than the radio. No radio is, unfortunately, going out. I think it'll be like TV was, when was that, 15 years ago, when they shut off putting out TV on the old antennas, you know, because everybody was plugged into cable. So what's the point? And this takes mass amounts of electricity, mass, mass amounts of money to pump that electricity. And so, yeah, the radio is really moving sideways. It's exciting, too, in the podcast world, too, because it's all going to digital show. And I think the word podcast is going to go out. We're really geeking out here, dear listener. Thanks for enjoying this. But podcasting's going out. It's all going to be, we think the term's going to be just audio show, you know, in the future. And because loading an MP3 is so much easier and cheaper than going through a dang radio station. Well, we'll have to see what the future brings. But it's definitely going to be, the content's moving around. Blogs are so yesteryear, John. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, that's that's why I'm working on being a writer and not a blogger. I don't consider myself a blogger. I oh, have my yeah. own blog on my website, but sure. it's most of the time when I post on my blog, it's hey, check out this article I wrote. Yeah, and what's so, your website? Uh, JohnnyKillmore.com. JohnnyKillmore.com. J O H N N Y. Kilmore, just like you would think. Two L's. Yeah, the double N thing. It's um. There's a bunch of different ways to spell Johnny. But yeah, it's, it's mainly a nickname, honestly. Uh, my real name is John Woods, but I've had that nickname since high school. And uh, I just was using it actually in a band. And then I was promoting my band as my sponsor for my racing because I had no sponsor. Okay, cool. And then the racing got so big that I got stuck with the name. And then everybody just knew me as Johnny Kilmore. Right, right. And if you Google John Wood, you're not going to find me. You're going to find a thousand people named John Wood. <laughs> that's so. true. That's a, Well, if we're on that, I've got... A confession. Bob is not my real name. Is it Robert? How'd you guess? It might be Robert. No, so I totally understand. And I got Bob just as a family thing. My dad was Bob. His dad was Bob. I thank you guys for joining us. You guys are on the gram? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually the... I'm, a, I'm on there at Johnny Kilmore. But um, the project that we're doing, the trip, has actually got its own name. It's Two Hearts, One Horizon. Okay. And it, it started off really as just a way, because we had different circles of friends. Yeah. And so being able to share stuff, we just created a Instagram and then kind of I, in a flurry of uh, it's just too much free time and creativity. And I built a website and a logo. And so now Two Hearts, One Horizon is going to turn into more of a travel log and a you know project to actually like create stories and not just share Instagram photos with our friends from our road trip. Cool. And it's uh, number two hearts? Yep, two okay. hearts. Yeah, it's number two and the number one. And I have two hearts, one horizon.com. That, uh, that website's just been sitting there. I don't think I've updated it in a year or two. But one of the millions of things we'll do is we get everything shoved into storage and get bikes ready and yeah. finalize the route is I'll update the website. How are you feeling about being homeless, Kate? <sighs> well, I haven't heard it. <laughs> That's <terms>. right. <laughs> I think I think home is where the heart is. And as long as I'm with John, I'll be right. Well done. Well said. <laughs> you guys are really inspiring. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, right on. Thank you. And thanks for the copy. Good stuff. Good copy. American Roadrunner brings you a Roadrunner in the Headlight.
You heard it first here on this show. We all know her. We all love her. Love her? She's the love of my life. This one goes out to Miss Beulah May, co-host of Girl on a Moto podcast. She came back for her second annual Ride 1K, clocking her at 1,032 miles in 18 hours, 11 minutes. She brought our good friend and sponsor, something at American Roadrunner. I'm not sure who that is. Along for the ride, but here's the story. You've heard it. Let's hear it from Beulah's own hand. My first text message to Bob Marshall was half questioning, half advice seeking. When you're doing a ride 1K in a day, what's your average speed? I suspect around 85. My next text was, what are you doing May 9th? It was that simple, yes or no answer, and just like that, within a day, Bob had a few options for this trip for us to leave and return from his flying Marshall Laboratory with a thousand-mile loop. I packed my gear the day before to avoid procrastination and overthought on what I would bring on the back of my Sportster. After a day of work, on Friday, I rode to Bob's, recorded a show with him, got some sleep, woke up early, and let all the mayhem of this ride begin. We left Riverside in Southern California to head north, made a left turn at Las Vegas to Ely, Nevada, and then over and down the 395 for a complete loop. It was cool, then warm, then wet, and then perfect. There was a near collision, a bike drop in the dirt, exhaust flange dangling in the wind. Someone ran out of gas, and spoiler alert, the same someone blew a rear tire with less than 200 miles to go. Tow trucks, credit cards, short naps on the side of the road, and bad directions. Above all, adventure. I would do it all over again in a heartbeat. Check out all the shenanigans on the American Roadrunner Motorcycle Show and on my blog at girlonamoto.com. Yes, this was the ride where I blew up my tire and you heard it all a few episodes ago. Way to submit this, Beulah May. Well done. We've got a six-person ride. These are six people who all got together and made it all happen. Let's hear about it. We're starting with on the gram at Carlos underscore PZ1. Crushed his second 1K this year with 1,009 miles, 22 hours, 29 minutes. He recruited some new riders for this one while others were return riders as well. He writes... After going north to Reno on my first 1K on May 12, 2020, we went east this time to Sedona, Arizona. I feel this ride was much more fun. Highway 89 and 89A was amazing with views and roads as smooth as a baby's butt. Stopped in Prescott at the Harley store and headed to the Sedona Beer Company. We ate and headed up to Flagstaff. From there, it was a race west on Highway 40. Much easier around this time. Not hit in a storm really helps. Surprisingly, the heat wasn't bad at all. It was optimal riding conditions throughout the entire trip. Well done, sir. Our bell rings for you. Let's go with rider number two of six. This is at Martha Skill Skin on the gram. Knocked out the 1K, 1,005 miles for her in 23 hours, one minute. She kept her story short and sweet 
and we appreciate that. Hashtag ride more, talk less. I love it. This is hilarious. She writes, smash and grab 1K to Flagstaff and back. Rolled to Jerome, Cottonwood, and Sedona. Amen. Well done, sister. Welcome to the cult. You are saluted. Rider three of six at Elfra Fab Patron. Knocked out his second 1K already this year. This time with the group twice the size, of course. We have him clocked in at 1,063 miles in 22 hours, 10 minutes. He writes, this quarantine has us riding more than ever before. We headed from Ventura towards Phoenix to do the 89 to 89A to Flagstaff and a dash back home on the 40. The 89 and 89A is the beauty of this trip. Lots and lots of turns. Maybe not ideal for the 1K trip in regards of time, but we do it for the ride and made it. We passed through Prescott, Jerome, a city on the side of a mountain, and Sedona. Words and pictures can't express the beauty. Ready to do another here shortly. Stay tuned. Well done, sir. Congratulations. Number two this year. Let's get to rider four of six. We have a new record for oldest rider. Jose Ruiz Sr., 69, was in good company with others on their first 1K and two who already knew the ropes. Got him at 1,071 miles in 22 hours, 20 minutes. Congratulations on completing the ride and taking the title of oldest rider. I sure hope I'm able to crush 1Ks into my 60s. Great work, Jose. Jose writes, I love to get up early and ride. It's a beautiful road that we took. Got a little tired towards the end. God willing, I will continue to ride for many more years. I am 69 now and feel great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jose. 69 and killing it. We appreciate you, sir. Rider 5 of 6, Black Wolf underscore Honcho knocked out this 1K. This ride was a challenge, especially when the pain set in, but Chris enjoyed every mile of it. Chris wrote, where do I begin? I was skeptical on doing this ride. I was nervous, anxious, and couldn't even sleep, only getting three and a half hours in. I woke up at 1.45 a.m. to meet up with the group at 3 a.m. I was pumped. Riding to our second stop to gas up was easy peasy. The weather was perfect, maybe upper 60s and a nice breeze. Man, seeing that sunrise was amazing while going through Palm Springs. Making it unforgettable memories while riding with a group of friends that love to put in their miles. Heading to the halfway mark, I started feeling the tiredness. My hands started getting tight and sore. Riding without a fairing on my bike took a little toll having the wind blowing good a few times. Each time we would gas up, I was excited to see the next town we would stop and pass through. I didn't realize how many miles we had already put in and hours. Don't get me wrong, being the first timer doing the 1K was tough, but I loved every mile of it. Well done, sir. Welcome to the club. Bell's ringing for use. Rider six of six at underscore dot Gabe dot underscore S on the gram crushed his first 1K with his group of friends. 1,028 miles, 22 hours, 24 minutes. 
Have you noticed the times are always just a little different, even in a group? It all goes back to the fuel receipt. So always keep that in mind. Whatever the ending and beginning fuel receipt says, these are your times. So looks like we're going to see some more miles from him. He writes, well, I got my first 1K under my belt. Finally went through with it, and I must say, I enjoyed it. I didn't get much sleep the night before because I was too excited to get on the road. Left Ventura to meet with the rest of the crew in Azusa. Getting to Palm Springs area as the sun was rising was super cool to watch, but at the same time was feeling tired. Contemplated if I should just turn back. Glad I didn't. Before this ride, the furthest I rode was about 300 miles. It's so much better riding with a crew. Once we got to Prescott, Jerome, Sedona, wow, the views were amazing. Flagstaff was our turning point, so we headed back and felt good. Only part was my rear end was bugging most of the ride. <laughs> the heat wasn't too bad either, and I'd definitely do it again. I need to lay more miles down on my bike. Mr. Gabe, congratulations. Welcome to the gang. Let's get over to Shovelhead Joe on the gram. Knocked down his first 1K, 1,097 miles and 20 hours, 57 minutes. As part of the 1K prep advice, I often say exactly what Joe mentioned here. Try to get in some solid rest beforehand, but easier said than done because Joe writes, The night before the ride, I felt like a kid on Christmas. I've been wanting to do this for some time, and for one reason or another, I never did. This time, it was going to happen, and it did. The ride started off later than I would have liked, but it was a good thing, because if we had left earlier, we would have gotten poured on. We chased a double rainbow for some time as my friend on the gram at Brindle79 and I embarked upon our journey. We had a set plan, but for some reason we were not able to load the Google Maps I had created into his navigation or my phone. So we did as best as we could to stick to the route. We missed on some of the roads I had planned, but also gained so much more letting the road take us where it wanted to. We wanted to take the scenic route down to Nashville and then all highway back. It was very hard for me to put into words how great of an experience this was. For anyone who has done it, I am sure you understand. There's something about getting off the bike after doing 900 miles. And I laughed so hard that I cried inside a gas station in Remington, Indiana at 2 a.m. and not even knowing why. If you are thinking about doing the Ride 1K in a day, do it! I can't wait for next time. Well said, Mr. Joe. Thank you for your contribution. Looks like you had one heck of a ride. Welcome to the gang. Last but not least, Michelle, a fairly new rider, crushed her first 1K with us soon after coming up short on another. Great to see her try again so soon. Not only did she have plenty of time to spare this time, but logged some extra credit miles as well. 1,105 miles in 17 hours, 10 minutes. Nice ride, Michelle. Glad you enjoyed it. She wrote, I rode to Texas for two-week vacation and missed challenge by an hour on the way out. I was determined to take advantage of three time zones and extended daylight hours on my ride home. 
Cool temperatures and light traffic between Amarillo and Albuquerque was spectacular for riding. It was so cold I used rain gear to stay warm. New Mexico mountains were much appreciated landmarks. Then, progress slowed because of smoke from extensive fires obscured the sun. A truck overturned across the 40 freeway, causing traffic to divert around via ramps. At the next stop, I shed the rain gear. Taking the 40 instead of the 10 was much cooler and the right decision. The Continental Divide in New Mexico was a great photo op and beautiful scenery for the ride. A late lunch in Flagstaff revived me for the remaining seven hours, and I also took off the jacket liner. Arizona felt like summer. Riding into the sun was making me tired. Crossing into California was familiar territory. I pushed past Barstow for gas and was 998 miles. The beautiful sunset energized me for one and a half to reach home. Traffic was starting to build but manageable at night. Close to home, the 1591 freeway interchange closure took me on a 30-minute detour. When I pulled into the last gas stop, I was exhausted and elated. Having been riding only four years, I felt like accomplishing 1K in a day is making up for lost times. Well done, Michelle. Congratulations. Welcome to the gang. And next time... American Roadrunner will continue. We've got some very exciting things. Something about nine hooligan riders all riding together in a group somewhere in Oregon. This is going to get exciting for the Ride 1K in a day. Remember, you can find all this on the gram. And of course, you can find us online, AmericanRoadRunnerTheBook.com. Find the book anywhere you purchase books. Find this motorcycle show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on YouTube. Recommend it to a friend. Let everyone know this is where it all begins. American Roadrunner. Until next time, my fellows. American Roadrunner. Rubber side down. American Roadrunner. American Roadrunner. All I want is a machine between my legs and an open highway. Music for the American Roadrunner podcast is brought to you by Meek. The American Roadrunner podcast is an ARR production. Keep up with Bob Marshall and his adventures and stories from the road at AmericanRoadRunnerTheBook.com, American Roadrunner on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube. We'll see you on the road.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>